Chapter 22, The Fall. Destroying their third conversions gave Rass hope for the mission. While seeing the aftermath of a knack perpetually in overload turned his stomach and gave him a new vigor to fight the collective, he just wished Callie didn't need to repeatedly see it. Rass stepped out from the sphere's porthole and turned to face the fourth engine on their checklist. The tilting vessel was a good sign their plan was working. How many of these do we need to take out before this thing starts falling? Callie asked. The next one might do it, Elias said. Losing half your engines is one thing. Losing all of them from one side makes it unstable. Then let's hope Hal's doing his part, Rass said. A five-minute rush got them to the next engine, and the Winnower's staff moved so slowly that Rass assumed they must be directly over the time origin by now. It might take years for the Winnower to complete its mission in the eyes of Atmo, even if it was only months for the crew. The absence of the Winnower from the origin of all energy would likely throw Atmo into chaos. Unless the Collective had a backup plan, fuel resources would be depleted and Sky Pirates would be emboldened. All lovely things for Foster to duck out from. All lovelier things to save Atmo from upon the triumphant return of Foster Helios III, banisher of Elder and Sky Pirate alike. They might even make him king of Atmo if such a thing were to exist. Rass wouldn't let it. Did you hear something? Elias asked. As they neared the next engine, Rass heard a fourth set of footfalls rapidly approaching from behind, and saw a blur just before it collided with him, flinging him forward and ripping his hand away from Callie's. With the wind knocked from his lungs, Rass flailed madly before colliding with the sphere and crumpling at the base of it. His head swam and he sucked for air. Moments later, Callie overloaded. One of the half-dozen newly materialized soldiers walked up to him at a leisurely pace. Older. Gray hair and wrinkles adorned his crazed face. He grabbed Rass by the throat and lifted. Thought you could sink us, huh, Lack? The soldier said, his black eyes looking manic. He slammed Rass against the sphere, retaining his vice-like grip around Rass's neck. With a clamped throat and burning lungs, Rass fought the pain in the blackness that haunted the corners of his vision. He kicked at the soldier to little effect. Do you realize how long I've been waiting for this moment? He asked. Me and my men have had to watch the world inch by just in case you and your girl arrived. He shook Rass violently. Look at what your lax serum did to me. I was 23 when we came here. From what little Rass's clouded mind could guess, the squad's job was to clear out anything that hindered the Collective's path to the time origin, which meant they would likely kill Callie next. Rass threw a right hook, which the soldier promptly caught and pinned. Rass would have cried out in pain if he could, but the soldier took the feint, locking up both arms. Rass then swung his left arm with the grapple gun against the porthole glass, cracking it. Again, again, Rass could feel the life being choked out of him. One last blow smashed the glass as the convergence's energy seeped out into the corridor. The soldier lost his grasp, and Rass's oxygen-deprived body fell limp. The soldier screamed, waving the energy-thick air away, but he had already taken several deep breaths. He clutched his head as the lack injection did its job, fighting to reject the intruder, immunizing itself and pulling double duty against energy and time, wreaking further havoc on his body. Rass gulped for air, finally filling his lungs with relief just in time to scream in surprise as an aged corpse collapsed next to him. The black in his eyes returned to a pale green, and the frail body of a man well past a century of life stared at Rass from the floor. Scrambling up against the engine, Rass watched the other five soldiers, all staring wide-eyed at their fallen leader. None dared to step forward to challenge Rass in his fog of death. Rass stood, his chest flooding with pain as he learned what a broken rib felt like. <laughs> Run. He coughed as he walked toward them, his bubble pushing energy away. He unholstered his wrench and strode towards his opponents. The soldiers backpedaled down the corridor and Rass gave chase until they disappeared around the corner. Turning on his heel, Rass still struggled to catch his breath when the usual operation sounds of a flying city returned to his ears. Callie? He jogged past the damaged engine and spotted his father with his hands held high at the prompting of a handful of armed men. 
A few feet in front of Elias, the scientist from the stairwell cradled Callie in his arms as he finished depressing the plunger on the syringe into her neck. He clicked his tongue at Rast in disappointment. You really shouldn't leave this one alone. He spoke in a normal tone while the guards by Elias still moved at a slowed pace. Rass, how are you over there? Callie asked, then reached up to feel the needle in her neck. The scientist shushed her like a young daughter. Now, now, you mustn't get worked up. I just saved your life. What did you do to her? Rass walked toward the scientist with a wrench at the ready. The guards moved their guns from Elias to Rass, stopping him. The scientist released her and she struggled to find her footing as she ran to Rass, burying herself in his embrace. I don't want either one of you to get damaged, he said. You both have years and years of valuable research left in you. I feel funny, Callie said. I could brush my teeth for too long, but all over. She looked over Rass's shoulder at another set of guards joining the standoff. What did they do to me? I think they stopped you from being a knack, Rass said, holding her. Very perceptive, Mr. Veer, the scientist said, offering a polite clap. We're branding it as void. But yes, this newest batch has proven most effective. Your weapons, please. The scientist motioned for several of the guards to relieve Rass of his wrench, pistols, and grapple gun. Mr. Helios has a very strict no-weapons policy in his lab. The soldiers, Rass nodded to the corpse on the floor. Do they get the same injection? Them? The scientist asked. Oh, no, no. We hadn't perfected the serum yet, he smiled. We shall be spending quite a bit of time together in the future, Mr. Veer. My name is Dr. Lupava. Elias was corralled in with Rast and Callie. His hands shook and his breathing was labored as the three were bound with handcuffs. Are you all right, Dad? Just a lot of energy in here, he said, strained. I'm fine near you. Half a dozen men in engineer garb approached the engine sphere wheeling in a sedated man on a gurney and lifting him through the open porthole. The tubes and wires from the dead knack were transferred to the new recruit. A second team of engineers arrived, quickly replacing the broken porthole glass and sealing the first team in. A hissing noise preceded one of the engineers overloading and taking the rest of the men up in a blaze, birthing a new mini-convergence. Beneath, one of the winnower's engines roared back to life. There we are, good as new, Lubava said. Shall we to the elevators then? He offered a sweeping gesture. How many times does that trick work? Elias asked. We get plenty of headstrong new recruits all the time, said Lupava. But to think, they would still be alive if you hadn't destroyed our convergence in the first place. Pity. The group began to walk to the elevators. The soldiers jogged in order to keep up with Lupava, Ras, Elias, and Callie, until the group reached the wide double doors. I know this will be a terribly long ride for us, Lupava said as he pressed the button to go up. But please do try to have some patience. The door slowly opened, revealing a large circular transport with a single person standing in the middle. Dixie Piper. Ah, glad I caught you before you made it to the lab, Dixie said slowly. Foster wants to see the prisoners before you begin your experiments. She had a black left eye and scrapes on her right arm where her jacket sleeve had been ripped away. I was informed of no such thing, Lupapa said, stepping into the elevator with a few guards. He can see them in the lab, Dixie raised an eyebrow. You feel like telling him that in person? What are your credentials? I am not familiar with you, Lupava said, looking her over. I led you into the wild, she said, pressing the elevator button for the bridge. What floor should I drop you off on? Dr. Lupava pressed another button as the elevator doors closed. A little caution goes a long way, young miss. Dixie, I never thought I'd raspy in. Shut up. Dixie looked over to Ras. Her eyes did an old hatred, but instead a melancholic resolve. You know, only an idiot would try to pull eight plugs one at a time, she said. I can see you trying to take down three at once, especially with the speed advantage. Her eyes flitted to one of the guards, then narrowed. But even then, you'd have a small window of opportunity. 
She lifted a small pistol and fired, dropping Dr. Lupaba and throwing the elevator into chaos. Rass flung himself at one of the guards before the man could raise his rifle. Connecting his elbow to the guard's temple, Rass shouted to distract the other two men. Dixie sprang into action, dipping and sweeping the legs out from the second guard, then rested the rifle away and slamming it against the man's forehead, silencing his surprised cry. A shot rang out toward Rass before Lass could throw his shoulder into the third guard, slamming him against the elevator wall. The musket ball moved slowly enough for Rass to spin his guard into its path, then ripped into the man's back as it entered Rass's sphere of influence. The guard in Rass's grasp collapsed to the floor as Dixie ran over, silencing the pin guard with a twist to the neck before he could call out. Dixie threw her arms around a motionless Callie. I thought I lost you guys. I'm sorry, I'm confused. What changed? Callie asked. India Bravo flying into battle with the Collective, that's what's changed, Dixie said as she pulled herself back to face Callie. The next ship coming through the pass was crewed by a mix of Sky Pirates and men in Collective uniforms. We had a bit of a disagreement, she said, pointing to her black eye. I've been going after the wrong target. Well, not the wrong target, but my scope has been too limited. What are you saying? Ras asked. I'm saying Foster Helios has to die, and you all are my ticket to the bridge, Dixie said. Oh, and I'm sorry about the whole betrayal thing. I'll make it up to you somehow. Hold on, killing Foster won't take down the Winnower, Rass said. No, but there are plenty of lovely controls on that bridge that we can smash to make that happen after Foster is dead, Dixie said with a smile. Rass offered his cuffed wrists, but Dixie pushed them away. No, you have to stay like that. Foster will think something's wrong if you're not cuffed. She stepped over to the body of one of the guards, dragging him to the side of the circular elevator. Are you just going to watch me work? Rass stepped over and helped her drag the second guard. The elevator chimed. Dixie picked up another musket before stepping behind the trio and aiming it at Rass's back. Just play along. The door swept open, revealing a far more ornately decorated part of the airship and a path opening up to the command center of the Winor. Dozens of crew sat at their positions around their large room, monitoring their stations. Nobody looked up to address the newcomers. On the other side of the room stood a figure swathed in a tailored gray uniform, staring out at the massive window, his hands clasped behind his back. Sir, one of the officers said. Foster turned, spotting Rass, Callie, and Elias walking forward, cuffed. Guards. Got it covered, said Dixie, stepping out from behind Rass, showing a rifle was aimed at the wind merchant. Foster flattened his hand, motioning for the guards to hold. He stepped down from his platform to the main level of the room. I see you've finally reeled in the knack and the lack. And who might I ask is this bonus piece? Are we working for extra credit to return to my good graces? His father, Dixie said. Foster took a couple of cautious steps forward to inspect Elias from a distance. Very interesting. He spent a long while in the time bubble, said Dixie. Might be worth studying the long-term effects of being frozen. Waving a hand dismissively to Dixie, Foster addressed Elias. Someone's been well-preserved, hasn't he? You spoke with my father, if I recall. Elias nodded. He was a difficult man with which to obtain an audience, let alone strike a bargain, Foster said. What did he offer you? Does it matter? Elias asked, not expecting you to fulfill his obligation. Obligation? Oh, yes, you were supposed to give us the location of the origin. Foster looked back out the window at the purple-hued sky. Looks like we did quite all right on our own. You wouldn't have found it if I didn't make it here first, Elias said. Appealing to my sense of honor now? Foster asked, just stating a fact. Tell me what he offered and don't be difficult, Foster said, sliding his hand down to an ornately designed silver pistol hanging at his side. He promised to stop harvesting the convergences around Verdant. Foster laughed. Now that's a promise I can most certainly keep, isn't that right, Rass? Rass's eyes flitted about, trying not to focus on Dixie moving to casually flank Foster. You run this place with knacks, Rass said, in an attempt to get Foster to focus on him. Given yourself the tour, it seems, said Foster. Very impolite. 
I can see why you wouldn't allow people to know you make fuel, Raz said. There is a penalty for trespassing, you know, Foster said, pulling the pistol from his holster and remorselessly aiming at a Callie. And you, you should be grateful, Callie glared at him. Why? I cut your tether to your idiot lack, Foster said. You don't have to stand two inches away from him. Then again, the serum essentially made you a lack yourself, so I'm not sure which is worse. After a moment, he dropped it to its side. Oh, Lupava would go on and on if I shot you, Foster said, then turned to Rass. You're annoyingly difficult to dispatch. Did you know that? Foster leveled the pistol at Rass and squeezed the trigger. The end of the barrel glowed green, and Rass felt a sharp shift of momentum throwing him to his right. Callie had shoved him out of the way. The beam emitted from the barrel struck her in the midsection, throwing her back as she cried out in pain. She struggled to put out a small fire from her shirt, but her hands came up covered with blood in the attempt. No! Rass shouted, scrambling to pick himself up. He lunged at Foster, who easily shifted targets to Rass's chest. The beam stopped just before striking him. However, the force of the blast knocked him backwards. He slid on the polished metal floor until he stopped next to Callie. See? Not perfect, but better than our first test subjects, Foster said, inspecting his toy. That should have put a hole straight through both of you. Rass inched over to Callie. Callie, are you all right? He looked at the pain in her eyes, then down at the blood escaping to the floor from her hands, clenching her stomach. Any other volunteers? Foster asked, pointing the gun at Elias. I'll have a go. Dixie said. Foster turned and saw the musket pointed at him. Dixie fired and his uniform blew open over his heart. He crumpled to the floor. In moments, bodyguards moved to tackle Dixie and knock loose the rifle. Do you have any idea how long it'll take to get a replacement suit sent from Derailleur, especially out here? Foster asked, pained. He stuck two fingers in the hole of his gray uniform, ripping at it and revealing a black mesh layer of clothing. I'll have to thank Lupava. Foster righted himself and aimed the gun at Dixie. You mentioned wanting a turn. Elias launched himself at Foster's back, getting his cuffed arms around Foster's neck as guards rushed to stop the loose prisoner. Foster's gun fired. The struggle stopped. Dad! Foster ducked out of the other man's embrace and Elias fell to the ground, reaching for his absent leg, eyes growing green. He's a knack! Foster shouted then looked at Rass. Stop this! He dashed out of the room as crew members ran away from their stations in a panic. Lights fluctuated and screens flickered. Winds howled as energy began pooling in from everywhere to join Elias. Even if the explosion of an overload wouldn't destroy the Windhorse Bridge, having the loose mini-convergence of his father bouncing around the control center would surely do it. Rass couldn't watch his father die. He scrambled to be alongside Elias, sliding in next to him. Dad, let me go, Elias said, pained. I can't. Rass placed his hands on his father, watching for the green glow of his eyes to subside. It didn't. Why isn't this working? He shouted, fearing his father was at the point of no return. Callie, help me. She looked to Rass, then back to the pool of blood. She mouthed something Rass couldn't make out. He needed another lack, strong enough to repel his father's overload, but she wasn't moving. Rass began dragging his father's body over to her. The room rattled violently. Rass had never seen the formation of a convergence, and he was determined not to find out how the process went quite yet. Callie gasped as Rass lit Elias next to her, and her blue eyes turned black. Rass placed a hand on Callie, the other on Elias. You are not leaving me, Rass shouted. I won't let you. The beginnings of convergence glowed about Elias, dancing along his skin, emanating from where his leg used to be. Dixie crawled away from the epicenter of Elias, backing up against the wall. The energy danced over to Callie, swirling around her. She screamed, throwing the energy away in a one-foot radius from her body, then further, scrubbing away the energy that had pooled into Elias's skin. Sparks showered throughout the bridge. The room filled with a vortex as Void fought the energy. With one more scream, the energy blasted away at the far corners of the bridge, shattering every window. Elias exhaled sharply as his eyes returned to their hazel hue. Callie's blue eyes remained black as the window were lurched and canted slightly at an angle. They were dropping. Warning klaxons went wild inside the nearly empty command center and green lights flipped to red all over the room. 
The convergences, Rass said. I think you just took down eight convergences at once. What just happened? Dixie asked, trying to find her footing. The winnower ran out of fuel, Rass said. Shouts erupted from the corridors outside the bridge as loud crashing noises filled the room. Callie's eyes returned to Blue, looking down at her bloody stomach. You're going to be all right, Rass said. He gently lifted her and looked up to see three mechanical giants clomp into the room. Rass, said the elder leader. Through the filter, Rass was fairly certain it was Carter. Napier is about to sever the last balloon. One elder scooped up Elias while another reached out to take Callie. Rass shook his head. He had promised to protect her, broken ribs or not. She with us? One of the elders asked, pointing at Dixie. They talk? Dixie asked. Don't let her fall behind, Rass said. The group left the bridge and joined the flow of men and women in collective uniforms through the corridors. Carter and the other unencumbered elder cleared a swath through the hallway with their swinging metal arms until they found the stairs. Carter turned to Rass. Hand me Callie or I'm picking you both up. Rass obliged and was hefted by the third elder along with Dixie. The mechanical legs pumped their way up the spiral stairs faster than Rass could have managed on a good day. Before he knew it, daylight shone in his face and they returned to the top of the winnower. The kingfisher hovered nearby, and down twenty yards along the deck a collective shuttle was loading up with scientists in Foster Helios III. Foster finished securing his grapple gun and looked up at Rass's party. He pulled out his energy pistol and lined up a shot when the winnower rocked. The beam went wide, missing everyone. On the opposite side of the winnower's balloon rig, Lorian ships were severing the last cables, leaving only the ones by the Kingfisher. The structure pivoted into a swinging fall. The collective shuttle sitting on top suddenly began sliding and plummeting, taking the scientists with it. Foster fired his grapple gun, connecting with the edge of the deck as up became sideways. The elders climbed up the side of the winnower's newly oriented top to the hovering Kingfisher. Once over the edge, Carter walked Callie inside the ship. The elder carrying Rass and Dixie dropped them just before being obliterated by a green blast. Foster finished clambering his way up to the top of the sideways winnower. The only option for his survival was the Kingfisher, and he held the means to force his way aboard. No! Rass shouted as he ran towards Foster to close the gap. It would be too easy for Foster to shoot down the Kingfisher if Rass climbed aboard to escape. Foster fired another shot, striking Rass's outstretched hands. The force snapped his cuffs apart, and he barely held his footing. The fact that the energy dissipated didn't erase the sting from the blast, but he kept moving forward. Foster fired once more, this time toward Elias and Carter, but the shot went wide. Foster would have to go through Rass. Meeting up with Foster, Rass leapt for the gun, but found a grapple gun fortified left arm plant firmly into his stomach. Rass threw his head forward, smashing Foster squarely in the nose as Rass's arms focused on resting the gun away. It pointed up, firing into the last set of balloons, starting the Winnower's final plummet toward the time origin. Rass dove into Foster in a flying tackle as the two men lost their footing and began sliding over the edge. No! Callie's faint cry barely made it to Rass's ears as he fell over the edge with Foster. Foster fired the grapple gun toward the side of the winnower, anchoring himself as the pair swung over the cusp and slammed into the side of the city. Rass had a good grasp on one of Foster's legs, but received multiple kicks from the other. Rass reached up to Foster's belt, pulling himself up as Foster began retracting the cable. Looking up, Rass saw that the kingfisher still hung in the air. Dixie, Carter, and Elias had made it aboard. The fact comforted Rass as he clung to Foster and the grapple gun brought them back to the edge of the doomed vessel. Hauling himself up, Rass landed a punch squarely into Foster's stomach, then was instantly reminded of the armor that had saved Foster's life earlier as a throb of pain echoed from his hand to the rest of his arm. Foster fired another energy shot into Rass, failing to notice that Rass worked the cable release on the grapple gun. The snap of their lifeline immediately sent both of them into free fall. The winnower's descent was nothing compared to their lack-aided fall, and soon the men careened toward the sideways glass dome covering the middle of the city. Spinning Foster around to take the brunt of the collision, Rass pulled himself tightly into a ball as they smashed through the glass dome. Their descent slowed as shards rained down around them. 
Now on the underside of the dome's curve, they rolled around until Rast lost his grasp on Foster. He continued to slide down the glass as Foster joined the winnower in its slowed fight against the friction of time. With nothing to hold on to, Rast did his best to slow himself with his palms and boot soles, but continued to slide faster than Foster. The end slope of the glass dome led to the interior ring of the winnower, and while it was full of pipes and sharp bits of machinery that Rast bounced into, he was thankful it didn't lead to more open sky. Rolling to a stop, Rass looked up, spotting Foster in his own floating tumble along the dome. It would be a minute until he would reach Rass. Time for a breather. Rass closed his eyes for a moment and took a deep, pained breath. He needed to get the grapple gun from Foster. Without something to anchor him, he'd fall to his death or die of dehydration on the winnower. Foster still slid as he loaded up another grapple charge. To Foster, the winnower was crashing with him, which didn't afford a man much time to think, let alone plan. Rass willed himself to stand. He had to use his relative speed to his advantage to get the grappler from Foster. You can do this, Rass said to himself, then began running up the glass slope, his boots gaining enough traction to reach Foster. For a moment, Foster entered Rass's equilibrium, falling faster before he swept Rass's legs and sent both men back into a slide. Rass used Foster's disorientation to undo the gun's body harness strap before receiving a punch to his temple, knocking him aside and slowing Foster once more as Rass tumbled back down to the dome's edge. He stood and prepared for a second run up the glass. Foster turned and trained his silver pistol on Rass. How many times do you have to shoot me before you realize that doesn't kill me? Rass asked, fully knowing how silly it would sound in a sped-up voice to Foster. Foster dropped his aim from Rass to the glass just beneath the wind merchant before firing. The beam melted a hole underneath Rass, who suddenly realized suggesting other targets hadn't been the best idea. Rass dropped, only to save himself by a tenuous grasp of thick, jagged glass. Staring down at the time origin brought back Rass's vertigo, shaking his existence. His arms trembled as he pulled himself up to no avail. The curved glass distorted his view of Foster as the man slid closer to Rass, but he could make out the man in grays rolling to avoid falling into the hole. Finally sliding to the edge of the glass, Foster stood and sauntered over to the edge. His slow speech gave his voice a more authoritative sound. I suppose at this point I'll have to take pleasure in the small victories. He lifted a leg to stomp on Rass's bleeding fingers. If you kill me, you'll lose your ticket home, Rass shouted. Foster lowered his leg. Go on. You drop with me. I can get us safely to the ground and walk you out, Rass said, struggling to retain his grasp. You stay here, you'll be stuck in time forever. Foster laughed a deep, booming laugh. If I keep riding this, the next thing I know, my lax squad will be picking me up. Wait, 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 Rass said. But how many years will pass before that happens? What will happen to Atmo during that time? I can get you out now. No, thank you. Foster said in mock appreciation, then raised his leg to stomp. The boot came down, crunching Rass's left hand against the sharp glass. With a cry of pain, Rass released the glass and grasped Foster's stomping foot. Then he allowed the weight of his body to pull Foster through the hole with him, and both men continued their rapid descent. No! Foster cried out as he struggled to bring his left arm around to grapple the winnower, but Rass worked to pin the arm down. Rass threw a right hook into Foster's jaw, then worked to undo the grapple strap by Foster's elbow, struggling to overcome the slippery addition of blood to an already difficult process. He received a knee to the stomach. Why won't you die? Foster wriggled his left arm free as they passed to the last of the winnower's surface and swung around to aim at the gigantic structure. The grapple charge fired. But the cabling tangled in Rass's sphere and didn't shoot forward to meet the winnower. Instead, it launched into a haphazard coil that only began to straighten itself out as the weight of the two men pulled down on it, slowing their fall with its drag.
All around them floated flaming debris with bits of cloth, metal, and smoldering wood. Rass looked down to see the back half of the brass fox thirty feet beneath them, facing forward to reveal the windstrider engines and the open door to the captain's quarters. Its balloon dragged above it. Rass swung his weight to line them up with his ship and clung to Foster's left arm, then worked the cable release. The snap returned the two men to free fall. Foster wrested Rass away with a stern kick that sent Rass into the embrace of the collapsed balloon, breaking his fall as Foster's stunted trajectory led him into the hold. Caught in the patched-up balloon, Rass thanked his ship for once more taking care of him. Gravity pulled him out of the canvas envelope and through the open door leading into the captain's quarters. The cannonball-riddled wood on the back wall protested at their collision, but didn't give. He looked around the sideways room at the chairs and broken dishes collected on the back wall with him. The side walls illuminated the room with their near-frozen flames, giving off a nearly unbearable heat. Thanks, girl. Rass said, patting the wall he lay on. I'm sorry about all this. His hand grazed something metallic. Callie's typewriter. He wondered if Hal had the necessary accoutrements to care for her wound aboard the Kingfisher as he cautiously made it to his feet. Bending over, he collected the small typewriter, then dug around until he discovered the bag of stolen artifacts from Foster's office. Dumping the contents of the bag onto his upended bed, he surveyed his resources. The dueling pistol looked to be the only thing he could use against Foster, so he tucked it into his belt. He hefted the typewriter into the old leather bag and slung it over his shoulder. He slid his bed frame on its end, then climbed up until he could reach the belted-down table in the middle of the room. After a precarious balancing act, he stood on the metal base of the table, giving him enough of a reach to grasp the door handle. Using the leather bag to catch the edge of the frame, Rass hauled himself out of the room. Standing on the wall next to the door, Rass saw Foster glide down into the hold. Rass held out the dueling pistol, but pulled back. The shot needed to be fired in close quarters to not waste this one opportunity. The formerly patched hole in the deck created at Framers Valley acted as Rass's vertical entryway into the hold. Foster came crashing down into a pile of broken container glass next to one of the Windstrider engines. The brass fox knew how to accept intruders. Rass slid over among the glass shards and pinned Foster to the makeshift ground with his knee. He aimed the pistol at Foster's forehead. Welcome to my ship, Rass said. Now give me the grapple gun. As Rass focused on working the final strap of the device loose, Foster took a shard of glass and slashed Rass's chest before kicking the younger man away. The dueling pistol clattered to the ground and Foster rolled over to grab the gun. He slowly stood, shaky from his thirty-foot fall, and aimed the gun at Rass. Was I not good enough? Foster asked. Did I not try hard enough for you? What? Rass asked, quickly inspecting his new wound. Foster stumbled, leaning against the sideways windstrider mounted to the floor. I did everything you wanted. Every single thing you said. Rass noticed the pool of blood in the shards of glass where Foster had landed. As Foster shambled forward, bits of glass fell from him. Hey, it's okay, Rass said in an attempt to defuse the situation. Is it, Dad? Why is it okay? Foster asked, jutting the gun forward. Because you did the best you knew how. You said that wasn't good enough. I was wrong. That's a first, Foster said, faltering. Tears formed. I'm sorry. It's all right, Rass said, taking a step forward with his hand outstretched to grab the pistol. I tried, Foster said. He jerked his arm, pulling the trigger. The bullet lodged itself in Rass's right shoulder. The jolt of pain sent Rass stumbling backwards, leaving Foster to gracefully collapse face down. In a brief moment of clarity, Rass realized what brought Foster to delirium. Spikes of glass stuck out from the back of his head and neck. Rass breathed heavily, nursing his right arm. He leaned in next to Foster's body and rolled him over. Arguably the most powerful man in Atmo lay in the hold of his ship, and all Rass could think about was unlatching the last strap of the grapple gun, which he did. Sliding his arm into the hard-won device, he rested his hand on the Windstrider engine. He walked over to the edge of his ship, leaned over, and saw a long drop still ahead of him. The grapple gun didn't have much cabling left in the spool. In order to not fall too far, he'd have to be precise about when he fired the last charge to anchor the cable into time.
Rast looked back over the remaining half of his burning ship. He opened his mouth to speak, but instead nodded and patted the wall before hoisting himself up to the ledge where the bay door formerly resided. Dangling his legs over the side, he tugged one last time at the grapple gun's restraints before looking back at Foster's body. With little inspiration or desire for any ceremonial words, Rast hopped off the edge before his vertigo could suggest he take more caution. The time origin grew larger as gravity pulled. He needed to wait a bit longer lest the last of his cable leave him hanging way too high. Five, four, three... Rass squeezed the grapple trigger and cable spooled out frantically, its friction slowing Rass as the ground rushed up. He held on dearly with both arms. Yards and yards spun out, slowing him as he passed alongside the tip of the crystalline spire. A loud thwack resounded as the last of the cable snapped free from the device, leaving Rass to fall the remaining twenty feet. With no cloth balloon to comfort his fall this time, Rass collided with the ground and collapsed with a sick crack in his leg. Sprained, or worse. As he looked up at the sky from the ground, he saw his ship and far above that, the winnower, on its inevitable path directly toward him. The collective was ruined. Foster was gone. He was alive, and his wrecked body wouldn't let him forget it. A laugh escaped his lips, surprising him. He attempted to stand on his good leg, but the unbearable pain brought him back to the ground. Taking a deep breath, he tried to push himself along with his working leg. The pain shooting throughout his body overwhelmed him, causing waves of nausea on the horizon to curve in ways it shouldn't. In an attempt to retain equilibrium, he squeezed his eyes shut. Unconsciousness beckoned. Now was not a time for rest. Opening his eyes, he surveyed the time origin. This is it, Rast thought. I die in the shadow of the fountain of youth. His breathing became ragged and he fought the urge to fall asleep. This couldn't happen yet. Callie needs her typewriter. Rast shook his head clear, then glanced down at his right arm clutched to the gash across his chest. The bracelet almost mocked him. Don't give up. He would just close his eyes and think of Callie. No. Rass opened his eyes. Don't give up. Don't give up.